Bruchim, my boy, and welcome everybody to our weekly Torah podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the memory of Herschel Ben David, Mr. Harold Pasternak. This week's Torah portion is Parshas Mishpatim. Mishpatim follows on the heels of the giving of the Torah last week's Torah portion in Yisro, and it primarily deals with a lot of the interpersonal laws, the laws of tort and damages, laws of business responsibilities, laws of idea of, of watching our responsibility towards other people's objects, damages, etc. <clears throat> In a very famous line, the Torah tells us that if somebody hurts a person, he damages or wounds another person, the Torah tells us, that we pay back a life for a life. Ayin takas ayin, an eye for an eye, shein takas shein, a tooth for a tooth, yad takas yad, hand for a hand, regal takas regal, a foot for a foot, kvia takas kvia, a burn for a burn, petza takas petza, a wound for a wound, and chabura takas chabura, also a different type of a wound also, instead of in, in the place of a wound. Now, the simple understanding of this passage clearly seems to imply that a person, when it's sort of like tit for tat, what you do to somebody else is done back to you. A person blinds somebody, for example, he's blinded himself. If he knocks out a tooth, he gets his own tooth knocked out. The Gemara, however, tells us in Baba Kama that's not the case. The oral tradition teaches us that that the understanding of the passage is not meant to be understood literally, but rather it means monetary compensation. If a person damages somebody else, he has to pay monetary compensation for the damages that were done. This is an interesting example of a place where the oral law directly contradicts the, what seems to be the simple understanding of the written law. Now, the Gemara does explain that this is quite logical. It really doesn't make a lot of sense to say that if a person blinds somebody else, he's blinded himself, for a variety of reasons. First of all, the fact the fact that when a person is hurt, if you go to somebody else, somebody else can hurt themselves. That does nothing to help to help the person that the first person that was blinded. If A blinds B, so now we're going to blind A. What does that help B at all? B is still deserving of some kind of compensation. Torah doesn't tell us any other compensation besides this. Furthermore, it's also even it may sound like it's just because you're doing exactly what he did. He's done back, done back to him. But upon further reflection, that's not the case at all. The eye, for example, is not of equal importance to every single individual. Let's say one person, for example, uses their eyes, they read for to make a living. Without the eyes, they may not be able to read. The other person, the other person that inflicts the damage upon him, however, let's say a person does, does something else with the, does, let's say he listens, he, 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 he tunes pianos, for example. His eyes may not be necessary in his work, and therefore it's not worth the same thing. Furthermore, one person's eyesight, let's say, may be a very keen eyesight. The person that inflicts the damage upon him may be have, have less, his eyesight is not as keen. He may not be able to see as well. So again, it's, the damage is not, it's not, exactly, it's not exactly punishing the person in, in accordance with, he, with what he did. Furthermore, let's say a person, when the person blinds somebody and he causes the eye to get infected or it causes an infection that spreads throughout the rest of the body, what are you going to do? You're going to blind this person and make sure that it's going to be infected also and affect the rest of the body too? It's impossible. So although it may sound at first glance to be just, 
the reality is there, there is no justice in doing the exact same thing back to somebody. And therefore, the rabbis understand in the, in the interpretation of ayin tachas ayin that it refers to monetary compensation. That's why ayin tachas actually, tachas means it's it, it, in consideration. And it's, it's, it implies some kind of a compensation. Similar Torah tells us also, in, in Bayikra, it says, Kash when you inflict a blemish upon somebody, so it should be given to him. The word giving always implies an expression of monetary compensation of money, giving money. Therefore, that's, about, that's the way the rabbis understand the word ayin takas ayin over here too as a reference to monetary compensation. There's a famous insight from the Vilna Gona, as a matter of fact. The words ayin takas ayin, ayin under an ay. He said, if you take a look at the Hebrew alphabet, the letters above ayin, ayin yud nun, the letter above ayin is pei, or the letter after ayin, in other words, is pei. The letter after yud is kaf, and the letter after nun is samach. You have a, a pei, kaf, samach, which when inverted spells the word kesef. So there's a little bit of an illusion, so to say, in the Torah itself, that the tachas, the letters under ayin, which are kaf, samach, pei, kesef, refers to monetary compensation rather than explaining it to mean in a literal sense. The difficulty with this, of course, is if that's what the Torah meant, why didn't it say so? Why does the Torah seem to be misleading us into implying that that's something meant to be under in a literal sense? And unfortunately, over the course of time, this actually has been used as a means of, of, of faulting the Torah. People would say the Torah itself is unrelenting and unforgiving. The proof of that is we see eye for an eye. If the Torah never really meant to say eye for an eye, it always meant monetary compensation, so why does that say so? The morale of Prague offers an interesting explanation. He says the Torah deliberately tells us eye and tachas eye and eye for an eye, life for an eye, foot for a foot, etc., in order to impress upon us the severity of what a person is doing over here. In other words, a person might make a might make they may have this observation. Well, if let's say knocking out somebody's eye requires me to pay five hundred dollars, well, you know it, it's a worthwhile investment. I I don't like that person. I want to hurt that person. It costs me five hundred dollars to do it. That's okay. I don't mind paying that money. Torah wants to impress upon us that we're not talking about. It's not just something which is like a, a just a, a, everything has a value. Everything has a monetary value. You do damage, you can always pay for it. You pay your way out of it. That's not the that's not the point of here at all. To the contrary, the Torah is telling us that when a person blinds somebody, he deserves that his own eye be blinded. When you are affecting somebody's life like that, you're hurting somebody's life so severely. You deserve that the same affliction should be belt back to the person, to the person that inflicts that, that damage also. It may not be practical, as you mentioned before. It may not may be impossible for a human being to be able to do the exact same thing. But it's important for us to understand the severity and that's why the Torah tells us the expression, eye for an eye. That we should understand it's not just something, okay, I don't mind paying the money. It's something which is the seriousness of it. You're like, you're taking part in a person's life. You deserve to, for, you, for you to be repaid in kind the same way too. That's the reason also why the Talmud tells us that although the Torah tells us many capital offenses for very various different sins, murder, idolatry, desecration of Shabbos for that matter, are all capital offenses. Yet the Mishnah tells us in Masechus Makos 
that rarely did the court ever carry out capital punishment. The Mishnah says that a court that carried out capital punishment more than once in seven years was considered like a butcher court, so to say, a court that was like that was a hanging court, as they called. Another opinion says once in seventy years it was called hanging court. And Bekiva and Tarfin said, had they been members of the Sanhedrin, they would have made sure nobody ever would have been put to death. The Talmud says, how would they have made sure? How could they? How could they be certain like that? He said, because there's so many criteria that had to be met in order to be able to put a person to death. Aside from the fact that the person has to first be warned by two witnesses, and he has to accept the warning for that matter. He has to tell the witnesses, I heard what you said and I don't care. And then he has to do the act within a couple seconds of the warning. Otherwise, we're concerned that the full impact of the warning may have been lost on the individual. So first of all, to be able to just to cover those type of 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 requirements is very difficult to be able to inflict death penalty. But Bekiva and Bekiva said they would have taken a step further. Even had the person killed somebody, they would have asked, how do you know the person, the murdered victim, was healthy? Even if, let's say, they killed, they killed him, let's say they, they checked the body inside afterwards, saw that the body, the body, everything was a healthy body. But maybe in the place where the knife went through or the bullet hole went through, Maybe there was a little hole behind that in the lung or in, a, in the heart or one of the important integral parts of the body, organs. And therefore, the person would have been considered a trefa. A trefa is a person that's going to die within a short period of time anyway. And the lacha is that a person that murders a trefa, although it's prohibited, obviously, but is not liable for death penalty. So that's the Gemara tells us you know, that rarely was a person put to death, despite the fact that the Torah promises the death, death or threatens the death penalty, for quite a few sins. So the obvious question is, well, if the Torah isn't planning on making it so, this makes it so difficult to put the person to death, and almost like the way rabbis are telling us, Bekiva is saying almost impossible, so why bother telling it to us then? Why are you telling us that it's a capital offense if we're not going to really give it, we're not going to take it seriously, we're not going to really put the person to death? The answer to the commentaries is, the commentaries explain, is that the Torah wants to impress upon us the seriousness of this offense. Granted, the court may not be able to put somebody to death, and there are many reasons for that, because it's very difficult for a human being to be able to, to discern with clarity, 100% clarity, that the person was indeed guilty. But from the fact that we see that when all circumstances are met, the idea of a capital punishment does exist, that impresses upon us the seriousness of the offense. And therefore, we can understand if a person deserving of death by the hands of court, how much more so would he be deserving of a serious punishment by the heavenly court? So we have over here an interesting idea. A person learns Chumash, the Pasuk itself, the passage itself. It would seem to imply that a person that damages somebody is damaged himself the same way. When you take a look at the Talmud, however, and Rashi's interpretation, it tells us that's not what it means. What it means is monetary compensation. But now that we see the Maral, the Maral is telling us an interesting idea. He's telling us that in the inner dimension of the Torah, even though the Torah makes expression, uses the expression of, of the, the person, excuse me, even though the Talmud tells us that it, that it really never meant to be understood, be punished in a literal sense, all it means is monetary compensation, but the inner dimension of that monetary compensation is really the equivalent of the taking the person's life, knocking out his eye or his tooth. 
So there's different layers of understanding the Torah. There's a simple understanding, which is sometimes not meant to be understood in a literal sense. There's the, there's the Talmudic interpretation of what it means to say, but the morale explains the deeper understanding is that there's never a contradiction in the first place. The, inter- the oral interpretation and the written law actually come together, and together they actually give us a greater understanding of what's of the meaning of the Torah. The person is not supposed to be literally lose his eye. He only has the obligation to pay monetary compensation. But nevertheless, he has to understand the seriousness. It's as if he really should be deserving of having his eye being taken out. Perhaps we can explain it a little, a little bit differently too, though. The reason why the Torah uses the terminology that the person has put to, that person's put to death or he loses an eye, even though it's not meant to be, though that's not the way we understand it. The Talmud tells us that by regarding righteous people, the, by righteous people, their money in some ways is more valuable to them than their bodies. We've explained this earlier by Yaakov Avinu when Yaakov went back to retrieve his small little cups when he fought with the angel. So he went back to retrieve the cups because they were valuable to him. But what that means on some level, though, we, we've explained that the person's money is as valuable as his life because he understands that in order to earn that money, he had to use time, hours, days of his life. He spent time, spent part of his life earning that money. And therefore, once he understands that, understands the clarity of, of the, 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 the value of time, the value of life, he realizes that the money that he, that, that he earns can't be taken lightly. It means a lot. It's, it represents a, par- a portion of a person's life. Rav Moshe Wolfson, the Rosh Hashiva Torvidas, uses understanding a little interesting concept. The lach is, we know, regarding a Kohen, the Kohen is allowed to eat truma. Truma is a tithe that a person takes off from his produce grown in Israel and gives a percentage to the Kohen. The tithings have holiness to them, sanctity to them. And only the Kohen is allowed to eat them. The non-Kohen is not allowed to eat them. If the non-Kohen eats it, it's a serious offense. Yet, the Torah tells us that the Kohen is allowed to feed it to his animals. If he has his cows, he can feed the truma produce to his cows. Or if he buys a non-Jewish slave, for that matter, the non-Jewish slave is considered his part of his part of his belongings. He can feed the non-Jewish slave the truma also, the same, the tithings. It's fascinating. The righteous Jew, who's not a Kohen, may not eat this produce. But the animal of this Kohen is allowed to eat the produce. How do we understand that? The explanation of Wilson explains is that the, when a person owns something, his belongings are an extension of his very being. Because again, since it took part of, he spent part of his life acquiring the animal or acquiring the slave, because of that, that slave, that animal represents part of this person's being. It's an extension of himself. And therefore, just like he's allowed to eat the chum of the tithings, he's allowed to feed the tithings to his animal also. Because at some level, the animal is an extension of himself because he sacrificed and spent part of his life earning the money to be able to purchase that animal. If that's what the Torah is telling us over here too, along the same, along the same lines. That a person... When a person damages somebody else, he, he, has, he says he, he pokes somebody's eye out, his own eye is poked out. 
It's not really understood in a literal sense. Of course, we don't poke his eye out. We don't burn him. We don't do the different types of things that he might inflict upon somebody else. It's only monetary compensation. But Torah uses the expression, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, to bring out this point, that the monetary compensation on some level is equivalent to, the, to, to one's own life. What I have to pay the money to this person for damaging him. It's not just, okay, boy, I guess I pull out my pockets a few bills and give, it, give the, pay the person the money. That money that I spent, that money that I, that I spent good part of my life earning by forking it over to the person, to the victim, in some way is considered the equivalent as if my own eye is being taken out. Of course, it's not, that's not what we do. But again, it's, it's impressed upon us the severity. We only pay monetary compensation. But it's important for us to understand, to recognize that monetary compensation on some level is equivalent of being po- having one's own eye taken out or losing a tooth, whatever else it might be. The Torah is so fascinating in its terminology, the way its expressions, the nuances. It tells us halacha, we understand what it means, but it also brings out the point for us to be able to clarify, to have a little understanding, deeper understanding than what's meant in the literal sense, what's meant even on the, on the sense of the halachic sense. In order to be able to impress upon us, to be able to feel the feelings, so to say, the Torah wants to get across to us. Have a great week, everybody, and we hope to be together again next week. Rez Hashem. Ever think about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.